Thank you, Stan. If um, my heart is to honor, if I just look around, I will be here all day and not get to the Word of God, because I could honor each and every one of you for everything that you've done in my life. And, um, but it's not my job to do that. It's Stan's job to honor this moment. But I do want to honor Mr. and Mrs. Radcliffe, if you don't mind standing. I don't want to embarrass you if you don't mind standing, Mr. and Mrs. Radcliffe. Yeah. Now keep standing, keep standing. Keep standing. No, you can keep standing. Mr. Phipps, I did honor your son in Pretoria, and uh, most of these guys were present when I did that. But um, to, to have the head girl of St. Mary's um, make a decision to go into ministry, I know when I made a decision, it nearly floored my dad. But I want to tell you, your daughter is a magnificent woman magnificent woman. She's a very rare gift. She's a very rare treasure. And in that womb, Mrs. Ratcliffe, God put together a genius, fearfully and wonderfully made a genius who has blessed not only us personally, but thousands and thousands of people and hundreds and hundreds of churches. And in a moment like this, we've got to stop. You'll have to get the tape, Tommy, when I honored your son. But I just felt we can, we have to take a moment because this is a bride and you gave this precious daughter of yours, you raised her in the most amazing way to prepare her to marry this incredible man to eventually become the leaders of this incredible church. And probably at the time when she gave up a glittering career and thousands of opportunities, she could be one of those entrepreneurial hot shots of a top company and she's chosen to lead God's church and I want to say in front of all our family and friends we honor you today and then um, just before I preach the, the greatest gift God ever gave me is my wife Melanie uh, we got married in this church she got healed in this church uh, we got taught in this church, we got encouraged in this church, and on the 1st of May we celebrated 30 years of marriage. But uh, the thing I want to celebrate is that Chris and Merrill were the ones who did our marriage counseling, Chris and Merrill were the ones who married us, Chris and Merrill were the ones who believed in us, Chris and Merrill were the ones who gave us an example that was worth following. And I'll, You'll be honored through this course of the weekend, Chris, as a leader, as a pioneer, as an apostle, as a father. And every one of those things are deep, deep, deep within my heart. But you taught me how to love a woman and how to live like you have for 45 years faithfully to the same wife. And when I look at my wife and I look at you and I look at your wife and I share the moments that we did yesterday, I want to say you've led us incredibly well in covenantal relationships that go beyond the comfort of our own human desire and selfishness, but lead to a sacrificial standing that becomes incredibly appealing. To both of you, I want to say thank you. Can we give them a hand? And not often we have these moments, but to Nick and Cutty Hardy, they're the ones who made our speech at our wedding. And so... We have many interacting um, meshes of knitted togetherness today. 
But when the couple that make the speech at your wedding are sitting at a celebration like this, you realize that we've had decades of friendship. Nick and Cutty were the first people that taught us how to put this theology on a table. He was a CEO of a big company. We were young Snotkop University students. And he would stand at his front door, and, he, and every single day after a day at his executive desk, he would stand at his front door and he would welcome us and say, welcome to my home. And behind his handshake was his wife who prepared these magnificent tables of food. And uh, we, they never let us serve. They served us. They, they, they cleared the plates. They made the food. They washed the dishes. And the, for the first time in our life, we actually saw what servanthood looked like from important people. And uh, you could have chosen many things, Nick. You could have gone. You, you, you are an incredibly clever man, and you, Katy, an incredibly gifted woman. And yet you chose to serve young people. And uh, we, we're not young anymore, but we carry the seedbed of your service inside of our hearts. Thank you for opening your home to us as young, impressionable, um, probably arrogant people to see an executive welcome us at the door with a very big handshake and to take us into your home and to stand up at our wedding day and to bless us. 30 years later, we still feel blessed by you, Nick and Kati. Thank you. We could honor them, please. Okay, and I can't look at any one of you because, but Nick Atsudas, Derek Watson, Elliot Sonjik, and Sheena McDonald, I think of you today. Three things happened to me. I'm going to pastor you this morning, and Chris is going to apostle us tonight. So this morning, we are going to probably cry, and tonight, we'll cry some more. And um, three things happened to me, and I want to talk about those three things. The first was I went down to a baptism at the sea, because we used to baptize people at the beach. And uh, I went down to the baptism at the sea, and as a young, impressionable man, I looked at that baptism, and I saw people taking off their watches, taking out their wallets, and putting their car keys on the towels, and getting baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I remember I was 20 years old and I looked at that and I thought, God, why don't they get baptized with their keys and their wallets and their watches on them? And it affected me. It affected me. And then I realized I came into a community where your watch and your wallet and your car keys and your family and your career and your car and your house all go under the water. And I thank God that I got saved into a church where everything goes under the water. And I want to say to you, Glenridge, keep it wet. Keep it wet. The second thing happened, Chris went on holiday. And I think, I don't know the exact detail, Chris, but he read a book, if I remember, by F.F. F. Bruce called Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. I don't know if you remember that, Chris. But you came back. And he taught us for about three months on Paul's salvation, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. And he said, we are going to build a church that looks like the church in the book of Acts. And I was deeply moved by that. I've never forgotten it. You asked these two questions, Chris. Who are you, Lord, and what shall I do? And he said, we should never respond to anything because of the enthusiasm of a man. We should respond to everything because of the character of Christ. If Christ is an apostle, we must be apostolic. If Christ is a pastor, we must be pastoral. If Christ is generous, we must be generous. Not because Rory or Chris or Ryan say generous, because Jesus is generous. And you taught us that, Chris. 
And then when I was trying to understand the gospel and the model of church planting and raising leaders and going to the nations became very trendy and, and there was a sort of this sausage machine of people coming up and you had to raise them quickly and, and send them out. And, and I got very disillusioned by the model and I thought, surely we are not following a model. We must be following somebody deeper than a model. There's got to be a man behind this model. And so I started to study Isaiah 53. I opened it up on my, on my study floor and I, I got on my knees for about eight days. And I thought, God, can you show yourself to me in Isaiah 53? Because if you didn't pay a price that is good enough or, or big enough or strong enough or whole enough for us to be doing this thing, we are going to exhaust ourselves and we're going to burn out because we are following the loyalties of a man instead of following the blood-rich sacrifice of Christ. And so, and so when I thought about today, I thought, how do I take the baptism, the book of Acts, and Isaiah 53 and put it into one text? And so that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and take one text, and I'm going to speak to you about damaged testicles. Hold them, man. Hold them for a while. In, 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 in layman's terms, it's called the family jewels. And if somebody's done something bad to you, it says he kicked me in the... It's, and if you think it's not in the Bible, it's in the Bible. Let's go to Deuteronomy 23. Let's read it together. Let's read it together. No one whose testicles are... Say it with me. Uh, that is, say crushed. Ugh. It's like a horrible feeling. A cricketer knows it. A rugby player knows it. Say crushed. In the Bible, guys, in case you not think I'm the Bible. Mrs. Ratcliffe, your daughter gave this up for this. Or whose male organ is cut off. Say cut off. Yes, that must be painful, eh? shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And I thought, you know, you can, you can turn that away quickly. Please, get rid of that. You know, the amazing thing with Glenridge is it doesn't matter how deep and personal your pain has been, their doors have been open enough to embrace you and to recommission you. I remember the very most humiliating time of my life was when an Afrikaans guy walked up to me and said, listen, Englishman, you're a bit fat, I'm a bit fat, so let's ride bicycles together. So we rode bicycles together, and after every ride, he would shake my hand and say, well done, Englishman. Then he would shake my bicycle and say, well done, bicycle, for carrying that fat Englishman. <laughs> but, but I hit my pubic bone on the saddle of the bicycle, and I broke it, and I was too embarrassed to go to the doctor and so I, I just left it for about six months, and then my prostate swelled, and I developed a urinary tract infection, and I became very, very sick about five years ago. Very, very sick. And I was too embarrassed because these things are too private to talk about. And what I found in this church is that those things that are so private and those things that are so deep and those things that are so hidden... If we trust God, he gets access to those and he recommissions us. I remember lying in a hospital bed when I eventually had to go to a urinary hospital 
which is the worst thing in the world for me. I was lying in a hospital bed and there was no room in the men's section, so they put me in the women's section. Can you imagine? Me and six women. What's wrong with your, um, <clears throat> and your, let's go to Acts chapter 8. You'll understand I'm not being crude in any way. I, I'm telling you, I mean this from the very depths of the bottom of my heart of what I believe God taught me in this church. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Say an Ethiopian eunuch. One who would have had his testicles crushed and his male organ cut off. One who was looking for some form of significance. One who had a big job and lots of money but never ever found his purpose in life. An important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Many of us, all of us, get given a trust of some kind. This guy had an incredible trust. He was the financial minister of a whole nation. And yet there was something inside of him which he could not settle, which he could not make peace with. He could buy cars, he had horses, he could buy a Bible, he had money, but he wasn't happy. And that's why Chris, when he preached the compelling gospel stand, gave up his engineering degree and followed Christ because there was something more compelling and satisfying in the call of Christ for him than to be an engineer. And we must never stop, friends, giving up those things which seemingly are important. I know many of you are engineers and you're called to be, but Stan wasn't called to be. He never found satisfaction in engineering. He was called to preach. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship because he wasn't happy where he was. He had money, he had servants, he had food, he had everything, but there was a brokenness deep inside of his personal makeup that he had to somehow get the presence of God to fulfill so that he could live a life of purpose. He was a barren man. He could not have family. He could not have children. He needed something to settle his heart, and he'd never found it in Jerusalem because if he had found it in Jerusalem, he would have raced home, but he was outside on the road thinking, I never found it there. I will find it religion was never found in Jerusalem in, in Glenridge we never found it in the structures of the church and so Chris had to be raised up to say actually there is a way of serving God that is not made up of human structural hierarchies where we are conformed to the pattern of what the world is happy with and the only instrument that's not in the Bible is the organ 
And yet every time you think of church worship, you think of the organ. And then God raised up a man to take us on the road to read the book of Isaiah so that our worship could reflect what the scriptures spoke about. Their trumpets and their drums and their violins and their organs and their all-night prayer meetings. We are not to be confined by the Jerusalem statistics of the church, friends. We are a radical group of people who find Jesus on the road. Thank you, Chris and Meryl. Thank you for leaving Jerusalem. Thank you for being bold enough to be kicked out of your families and the structural thinking of how you should have acted and to go on a lonely road where nobody understood you and somehow by God's grace, he got somebody to come and stand next to you and explain the Bible to you. Can you imagine this man? He's been crushed and in Jerusalem they're still worrying about things like circumcision. And he goes into Jerusalem and says, I need something. My testicles have been crushed. My genitals have been cut off. What must I do? They say, you're not welcome here. You don't fit into this assembly, the law says. So what must I do? I must go and find Jesus somewhere else on a road with a prophet who opened up the book of Isaiah. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay there. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Thank you every preacher that stood up in this pulpit and explained the word of God to us. Thank you. Because how can we understand unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture in Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. Say that with me. That very passage of Scripture. And told him the good news about Jesus. I've never ever heard somebody take that passage of Scripture and preach it through. And all the theologians said he started there and then he would have worked his way around Scripture. What I want to do today is I want to take an Ethiopian eunuch and I want to start with that Scripture and work all the way through to where I believe he got baptized. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again. He went on his way rejoicing. Say rejoicing. When we get baptized in Jesus... We walk away rejoicing. Turn me to Isaiah 53, please. He started with that scripture. Let, let, me, let me read you. You, you know what the, the Bible says? I don't know exactly how Philip, you say, Rory, you're using your imagination. Well, whenever people walk into my office, I always say to them, is there any piece of the Bible? A man walked into my office recently. He said, he said, Rory, I don't understand the scriptures. I said, but on your WhatsApp profile picture, you've got Psalm 91. 
He said, yes, God spoke to me from Psalm 91. I said, okay, let's go back to Psalm 91. I said, what did God say to you? And we start with Psalm 91. He was reading Isaiah. He would have read Isaiah. He, he doesn't understand Isaiah. But you know what Isaiah says? It says that Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition. When your testicles are crushed and you've got no testosterone going through your system, your muscles malfunction. So he's probably got an A-frame. He probably looks like a bit of a woman. He's probably got some slight boobs. His body is completely malfunctioning. He would have been ripped off his whole life. And all of a sudden he looks at a book and he says, this man was beaten beyond human recognition. And he looks at himself and he thinks, I understand that. understand that show us your bicep boy show us your muscles boy as we say to all our children show us your muscles the guys go like this show us your muscles ethiopian eunuch i don't have any because i don't have any testosterone because i got crushed surely he took up our infirmities verse four and carried our sorry surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed. He is crushed for our iniquities. Can you imagine the guy? He said, who's he talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip starts to open up. You know, one of the scriptures says he was bruised for our transgressions. I preached a sermon called Friday, Bloody Friday. And looked at every place where Jesus shed his blood. He shed his blood on his head for every thought we've had. He shed his blood in his hands for every stupid deed we've done. He shed his blood on his feet for every place we should not have been. But he was bruised, internally bruised for our iniquities. That means if you have a pain deep inside of your heart that no one can get to. He was bruised. He had an internal bleeding. And the only way you can deal with internal bleeding is if your blood system starts to absorb that blood and that blood starts to flow through your heart and that blood starts to flow through your organs and that blood starts to heal you. And now this Ethiopian eunuch, he's probably got rejection, he's probably got ridicule and he can start to feel the blood of Christ flowing through deep places. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was? Say it. Say it with me. He was cut off. And for the first time in his life, the Ethiopian eunuch thinks, there's another guy who's been cut off. There's another guy who's died so that somehow he can feel the pain of being, losing my manhood and losing my business and losing my marriage and losing my virginity and losing my... He understands. For the transgressions of my people, verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Say crush. Mitchie, come here, boy. Just hold my, just come, come in. Come, boys. Mel, you come and hold this. Hold it close. 
It is physically impossible for me to place any form of pressure upon my son's heads unless I'm a sadomasochist. I cannot place any form of pressure to cause them any form of pain. I will discipline them, but I would never maliciously hurt them. You know what one of the scriptures says? It pleased the father to crush him. Because there was pain so deep in that Ethiopian eunuch's private parts that he had to express a pain that was greater. And when he understood that pain, the pain of his crushing would be transferred to the pain of Christ's crushing. And whatever you have been through, it is impossible. You have got to know this, that the father so loved the Ethiopian eunuch and Rory Dyer and Jenny Ambler and Linda Watson that he crushed his son. He crushed him. So that the pain that you've experienced through crushing can be transferred to him and his healing can be transferred to you. you can be seated. Starting with that very chapter of scripture, Isaiah 54, sing, O barren woman. We, we preach, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. And, and you know, friends, in, in this society, as I suppose in many societies, you can be a barren man and nobody ever knows. You can go to work, you can come back from work, you can go to the bus, you can go to the train, you can go to the police station, you can go to the club, you can dance all night, and no one will ever know that you're barren. But if you're a barren woman, everybody asks. I know that because Fiona was barren for many years. I know that because Andra was barren. I know that because Melita has been barren. Three of the elders on our team. For 12 years, Fiona was barren. And many times we would come and we'd see our children. There would be a sadness deep inside of Fiona's heart, deep inside of Andra's heart. I'll never forget standing in that room there and little Zoe Matthews, Ryan and Zoe, daughter Zoe means the life of God and we were praying and Andra was crying out to God and there was always the sadness around her barrenness and one day Ryan stood up as he does with faith in his heart and he took Zoe and he put her into Andra's lap and he said I speak the life of God into your womb 12 years of barrenness broken three weeks later she was pregnant and we have got children running around this friends is a barren womb I built this with Hardy and our friends. We used to come in here. This is an empty, barren room of concrete. And if you go to the Glenwood High School Hall, it's a barren womb. And if you go to the DLR Hall now, it's nothing but brick and mortar. And slowly but surely, God started to say, more are the children of the desolate woman. I'm going to start to fill these barren wombs with people like you and you and you. And he says, listen, yeah, you've got your bollocks crushed. But I want to tell you, even barren women, when they come into contact with the one who was pierced and the one who was crushed, are going to start to sing. And as we start to sing, starting with that very scripture. And by God's grace, as Puno said, school halls and villas and villages and Gazankulu, every barren womb has been filled by God because of His grace. And that's why we preach the book of Acts. And that's what they're going to keep trusting God for, that every barren womb will be filled. Sing, O barren woman. Sing, O barren woman. 
Because I want to tell you, we can take no credit for the people. We can take no credit for the fruit. Because actually, we are like the Ethiopian eunuch. We have got crushed testicles and genitals that have been cut off. And we've had intimacy with the husband of heaven. That's what the next verse is. Or verse 5. For the maker is your husband and the Lord Almighty is his name. You know, you know what Chris and Merrill taught us? Is that we are going to, can you imagine this Ethiopian? He, he says, I'm never going to have any intimate covenantal relationships. And then Chris said, yeah, we're going to do God with our friends. We're going to lay down our lives for each other. And you heard it, Heather's words, my greatest moments have been around tables. We're actually we are going to do it covenantally with the husband of heaven and the barren womb. And God is going to add supernatural seed. And we're going to see young and old and rich and poor and black and white and married and single and educated and in a covenantal relationship around the table. This Ethiopian unit thought, flip, I thought there was nothing for me. I just thought I'm going to do business and retire at 65 and go to the beach and be lonely. And God says to him, listen, China, you must start singing because I'm going to put you into a covenantal community where you're going to find meaning and purpose that is not based on your natural fruit, but your supernatural fruit. You with me, friends? Starting with that very, what's, what's your crushing today? What's your cutoff? What's your hurt? Because you've all got it. This is a place of healing. This is a place where baptism and the book of Acts and the broken people all come together and find purpose. You still with me? Chapter 55. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters as you have no money. He, he, he is the minister of finance. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And his training, because he's a chartered accountant who went to university, because otherwise he wouldn't be running the treasury. So as a clever oak, he says, listen here, guys, this doesn't graft. You can't throw free parties because we're going to go bankrupt. Stan, you, you can't go to university for four years and give it up because you're going to go bankrupt, son. Chris and Merrill, you went to university, you've got to use your degrees. Nick Hardy, you're an accountant, you must, you must stay in business because, because actually it doesn't make sense. You're not going to make the bucks move because that 300E that you drove, when you give it up, you're going to buy a Toyota Camry. But, but, but you know what, guys? This meal that we get invited to is paid for by heaven. I'll tell you the greatest lesson Chris taught me, and it's a lesson I apply to this day. Glenridge went into debt because we bought a combi. And we were sitting as a group of elders, and we were discussing how to pay the combi off. And Chris said, gentlemen, we've made a mistake. We're going to sow the combi. We're going to give it to a church that needs it. And we gave the combi away, and this church has never been in debt for 37 years. Because we left the world of buying and selling and we went into the world of sowing and reaping. Come, milk, bread, oil, there's enough. Every time Jesus had food, there was leftovers. Every time there was leftovers, the oil flowed, the bread got... Every time, friends. Can you imagine this Ethiopian eunuch? It says it doesn't make sense budget-wise. No, but we never live by budgets. We live by faith. Amen? We planted a church from this church 
into White River. White River planted a church into Hazy View. So I went two weeks ago. I was on holiday there. So I thought I'm just going to go in quietly, slip in the back as I do, you know, introverted, quiet guy that I am. So I slipped into the back and I sat in the back row and the lady walked up to me and says, hi, welcome. I said, thank you very much. I said, nice to have you. I said, thank you very much. And then I saw them go and talk, 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 talk. They came back and said, hi. I said, hi. Welcome. I said, thank you very much. They said, where are you from? I said, where do you think I'm from? They said, are you from Pretoria? I said, yes. So they said, are you, are you, are you? Yes, I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and I loved every second of it. Because by faith, we sowed a church into White River. And by faith, they sowed the church into Hraskop. And a little boy walked out. And I had 200 bucks in my pocket. And as he walked out, I put the 200 bucks out like this. And he said, why? I said, I don't know. He walked out. And I got a letter this week. Hi, Rory. My name is whatever. My son and I started a spinach business a few months ago. On Saturday, we reaped our spinach and we sold it. And, and I'm teaching him about tithing. And he tithed 20 rand on Sunday morning for the very first time ever in his life. For the first time ever in his life. And as he walked out of church, you gave him 10 times more. So he gets in the car and he says, wow. <laughs> you taught us that, my friend. You taught us that, Meryl. And maybe sometimes your sowing has been deeply, deeply sacrificial as your sisters sit in this room and your mum and dad sit in this room and as your family sit in this room, Chris, but you taught us it's not about money. It's not about business. There's a different kind of meal we'll eat together. A meal without cost, but with lots of sacrifice. You with me? A few more and we're done. All the theologians say, where did he get saved? Show me where he got saved. Okay, I'll show you. 55 verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts, let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon him and I believe the Ethiopian eunuch said, Jesus will you save me. And with that very scripture linking the brokenness of his own castration the beauty of the scripture, the disappointment of Jerusalem. I think he must have got on his knees and said, Jesus, will you save me? You know what Isaiah 55 says? It says, your ways are not my ways, O God. Your ways are higher than my ways. And as the water comes down and causes the, the earth to bud and flourish, producing seed, say seed. Producing seed, say seed. So he's just given his life to the Lord. He's a barren man. He can never have children. And the next verse of Scripture says, as the water comes down and causes budding, he lives in Ethiopia. He lives in a dry country. So he knows when the rain comes, the plants come up. He says, as the water of the word comes down, as you get preached to every single Sunday, as the water comes down, doesn't matter how barren you are, that water, God's ways are higher than my ways, that water is going to produce a plant and a seed. And we have the beauty of the Ford understanding of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus in Galatians chapter 3 is called the seed with a capital S. And that Greek word is sperma. 
You barren man who's got a zero sperm count, you're going to be impregnated by Christ. And this gestation, this 40 years, this womb, when I look around here, I say, Jesus, the seed of heaven, you have come and touched a very ordinary group of people and produced a harvest. Lord God, you must enjoy this. And we must not take glory for this, for we are barren men and women who have had intimacy with the fruitful God. Let's put Isaiah 56 on the board, please. Let's close that door there, please, if you don't mind. Let's stand. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice, do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Say that with me. And let not any eunuch, I am only a dry tree. I don't know how you got crushed. I do not know how you got broken. But I want to tell you, you're sitting here, with the seed of heaven, celebrating the history of 40 years of supernatural impregnation in money, in friendships, in time, in opportunity, in church plants. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will. Between the crushing and the cutting that excluded him from community. The story of Jesus becomes the boundary lines to extend beyond his brokenness. So that he gets baptized with his watch and his wallet and his car keys and his phone and his house and his time and his business and his money. And Philip went one way and he went off rejoicing. Glenridge, he got crushed for your iniquities. Glenridge, he got cut off so that you will never be cut off. Stay wet. Stay rejoicing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Outstanding.